Hello, listener. Welcome to this special episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast with me, Tim Kimber, colloquially known on the pod as Producer Tim. This week, the pod brings you some of the highlights of IPEM's International Private Equity Conference, held in Cannes from the 28th to the 30th of January. My esteemed colleagues, Unquote Editor Greg Gilles and Associate Editor Denise Co-Genovese, were at the conference mingling among the 2,400 industry participants, all discussing the latest trends affecting global private equity. Our correspondents caught up with many of the keynote speakers and topic panellists for a series of video interviews, which you can watch in full on Unquote.com by following the links in the episode notes below. Subjects that were covered ranged from direct investments to gender diversity, but Yvonne Vercouter of LGT Capital Partners gave an intriguing overview of PE's growth in his remarks on the secondaries market. I mean, there's no doubt the secondaries market has grown tremendously over the last few years, and I think it's a, it's a combination of two factors. One, um, the sheer liquidity in the private equity market. Uh, second, the acceptance that um, uh, uh, private investors private equity investors can actually go out and manage their portfolios and seek out to sell uh, parts or all of their uh, private equity assets and and get liquidity. Um, It's a tool today, it's well accepted. Uh, It was not always the case. Uh, The industry today is about 80, 90 billion dollars. It's grown tenfold in the last more than 10 years, in the last 10 years. Um, that being said, I'm not sure that we will continue to see that level of growth going forward. Um, I think it's a factor of where we are in the cycle. Uh, if you look at the private equity industry, it's a 40-year-old industry. I was just looking at some numbers. In the 80s, it was about $70 billion of private equity capital raised. In the 90s, it was about $500 billion, uh, so 7x. Um, in the 2000s, about $3 trillion, so another 6x. Um, and in the last cycles, in the 2010s, uh, it was about $6 trillion. So it's about 2x. So we can see that the growth has actually starting to, uh, to taper. I mean, it's those are big numbers. Um, out of $6 trillion, today, if we look at the private equity industry, it's about $4 trillion of net asset values. There is need for liquidity on those assets. We've seen actually last year that distributions have started to come down from 2018. And so that is also fueling uh, the desire by investors that have been investing over the last 10 years that provided the growth to private equity to to look for some liquidity. And there is plenty of secondary capital out there to absorb those private equity assets. Since private equity's beginnings in the 80s, the face of the market has changed considerably in magnitude, niche markets and innovative deal sourcing. But the greatest change of all is arguably the rise of impact investing and ESG, or environmental, social and corporate governance. Maggie Liu, a partner at Bridges Fund Management, explained how her firm's 20 years of specialising in impact funds has proven a boon for making financial returns and sourcing hitherto untouchable assets. Um, I think if you just take Bridges' own example, we're about 20 years old. And so when we got started, um, we very much took this into uh, approach, integrating impact into everything that we invest in. Um, and in the early days, it was definitely something that uh, the LPs weren't taking too much notice of. It was very much about, can you uh, 
do deliver the financial returns and then the impact is a nice to have, but they weren't too focused on that, I would say. Um, but over time, I would say, uh, particularly in the last five to six years, we see the emergence of uh, a new se segment of LPs that are specifically looking for financial returns um, as well as impact. And then more uh, over time, even more sophisticated to recognize that you can deliver um, potentially superior financial returns by looking for impact. Yeah. Because in our perspective, we have found that they have helped us find better opportunities, right. be an early mover in identifying areas that might be um, underinvested into mm. or not yet developed. Um, and so we have a first mover advantage. Um, and then also increasingly, we have found that it's a differentiation in the marketplace from a deal flow perspective, um, because what we offer is a much I guess, well-rounded proposition to the entrepreneur. Um, and so they were really looking for uh, expertise, but also aligned capital that are, you know, capital that's aligned to their values. Um, and that's often a way that we've been able to unlock investment opportunities or become the investor um, partner of choice for them. Also high on the agenda for GPs is the diversity of investment teams and management boards. Encouraged both by LP appetite for gender parity and racial equality and by the financial advantage of incorporating diverse perspectives in the running of a company, the industry is clearly keen to change. But as Dominique Gaillard of France Invest pointed out, there's still a long way to go. We are very late in terms of uh, gender diversity. Uh, to give you two, two numbers, uh, in, in 10 years, numbers of uh, ladies in, uh, in investment teams of uh, private equity player went from 17% to 25%. If we keep at this reason, uh, we'll need to wait until 2045 to get the, um, the parity. So we, uh, we are really pushing forward through the charter that we are going to announce today. We are really pushing forward so, so that the GPs will take some commitments to increase the number of, uh, of uh, women in the investment team, and especially in, at senior position. Senior position is said that 7%, so we are really far away. And also in the companies in our portfolios to increase the number of women at the comex of these companies. So that's something that I want uh, most of our, maybe all of our members of France Invest to sign this charter be, before the uh, mid-March. In an effort to attract more women to a career in private equity, Helen Steers, a partner at Pantheon, has led a mentoring program which has now expanded from the UK into 11 European countries. But there is a generational take to this subject that GPs would do well to acknowledge. You know, nowadays, you know, let's face it, you know, with the millennial generation, um, people are looking for a little bit, a little bit more. They're not just sort of chained to their desks. And in, in fact, we don't need to be chained to our desks anymore with flexible working, you know, with video, you know, video conferencing as well. We travel, we should travel a little bit less. You know, we have to think about the climate yeah. in all of this too. And millennials have um, a whole set of different objectives and, and ideas. We see this at, at Pantheon, you know, with the people that we interview, the people that come in, that we recruit. Um, they're interested in developing, you know, other sides of their, of, their, of their work, their family life, their interests, their passions. And I think that in general, industry, and that includes private equity, needs to be able to take account of this because otherwise the brightest and the best candidates won't go into private equity. They'll go off and start their own businesses, they'll become entrepreneurs, and we will miss out on that wave of talent. So we need to have the right sort of conditions for those people to feel good about being in private equity. The bifurcated fundraising market was once again evident, with some first-time funds raising as quickly as the enormous brand name Megafunds. Johanna Barr of PE giant Advent International described the newer sources of LP capital required to fill the enormous coffers of a megafund. 
think you've seen, if I take sort of the last five to eight years even, um, obviously some newer names come into the market in particular in Asia, where you have had new sovereign wealth funds entering the market, building out private equity um, allocations or more broadly building out their whole platform across all asset classes. So that's been an area of focus of ours, and but not just us, I'm sure other, other GPs as well. But I think with that, our kind of Asian contribution, if you want, to our uh, capital has probably gone uh, up to around 20%. Um, and I think that will be a continuing trend, um, in particular in larger markets uh, like Japan, where uh, you are seeing a move uh, to being more comfortable with the mm -hmm. private equity asset class, and I think that will um, that will lead to more allocation and, and ultimately commitments in that area. Um, other trends um, you're seeing is is frankly in the with the investors who've done this for a long, long time, but who are in a sort of close to zero interest rate environment, feeling the pressure to uh, allocate more to private equity, to allocate more to alternatives more more generally. And we're the net beneficiary of that. So if a CIO says, to get my return threshold, whatever it is for my pension fund, I need to move from 8% to 10% allocation, that's a huge inflow for the asset class. And so I do think there's actually still quite a lot of growth to go. The other dynamic is that um, private equity has done pretty well for, for, fund, for fund managers over the time. So you know, LPs have had net inflows over the last, call it five to seven years. Uh, and only now, I think you're seeing maybe last year for some LPs is the first year that they've actually had uh, on a net basis an outflow. So they have been able to increase their allocation to the asset class uh, up to then, despite the desire to increase it. It's actually been more difficult because they've had so much money back. Meanwhile, on the other end of the market, Newberger Berman's managing director, Pratisha Miller-Zalar, extolled the impressive returns of first-time funds and how she would pick one over another in which to invest. So first off, when it comes to, we see hundreds of managers every year across our platform. We are a large investor in the private equity space, and so we try to see pretty much everyone that's in the market. That being said, uh, certainly as we think about emerging managers or established managers, the underlying thing that we're looking for is great returns, great risk-adjusted returns that will fit into a portfolio in which clients have asked us to construct for them. So it starts there full stop. So in terms of what we want, we don't want anything different from an emerging manager. We want them to perform well. Now, it turns out, though, for an emerging manager, there are some different things that we have to look at and we have to evaluate as opposed to an experienced manager that might have three or four funds already. For the emerging manager, we want to make sure, first and foremost, that the strategy that they have selected, that they are saying that they can do a good job in, is actually one that makes sense based on the skills that they bring to the marketplace and that they can clearly articulate exactly what that special sauce is that they have. I mean, why, is, why do they need to be in a particular area? Why are they going to be able to deliver value more so than someone else can? And so we evaluate that. We evaluate, is this the right team to do this? Is this the right strategy for them to be doing? Are they bringing together all the right resources in order to really be able to create value? And so with an emerging manager, you have to look at different things because there's not, you know, 10 different investments or from prior funds or a track record that you can see, right? And so what we always say is we will invest 
invest in a first-time fund, but not a first-time investor. So you really have to have shown whether or not you were, you know, you, know, you bought a company and you ran it as an operator, or maybe you were a key partner with another big sponsor and you want to spin out on your own. We need to be able to see that you've actually had live artillery, ammunition, and you've actually been able to actually create value there. There were several other interviews you can watch on our website, but one last to highlight was Nicholas Brooks, head of economic and investment research at ICG, who has been investigating the larger macro trends and the risks of recession in Europe. I think Italy always is one to watch in Europe. Um, you know, a lot of uh, political instability, that seems to be the norm there. Um, that hasn't stopped companies from investing well and making money in Italy. Uh, seems that sometimes what goes on on the surface is not really affecting what's going on at the business side. So you have to be careful uh, to distinguish between the two. Um, but I think that, you know, that is a bit of an issue in 2020. Um, five stars been falling in the polls. Um, uh, Salvini didn't win the election over the weekend, um, but Salvini is still the strongest. Salvini and the, uh, the League are the strongest party in, in Italy. So, you know, it's not clear cut what's going to happen there on the political side. And of course, the, you know, the banking system there is not um, in great shape. So I think Italy is always a risk. Again, our base case is that this is not going to lead to any kind of crisis in 2020, but it's, it's one to watch. Um, and I think the other risk, which has just come about, is this coronavirus. Okay. And uh, you know, the concern I have is that, um, you know, does it put off the stabilization and the potential increase in the industrial cycle that I have been expecting? Mm. To what degree does it uh, affect China and China's growth in the short term? I don't think it's going to be a long-term issue. And to what degree does that mean that data in Europe actually disappoints for a bit longer than originally anticipated? What does that do to financial markets? So that's, I think, something to watch. Again, our base case would be that ultimately we will come through this period and have, have this low but stable growth. Um, but again, it's, it's a risk that needs to be watched, I think. That's it for this mini episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Please check out the range of interviews from the IPEM conference via the links below. We'd like to thank the organisers for another great event and we shall hopefully see you there next year. In the meantime, keep an eye out for our upcoming pods on technology-driven deal sourcing with DealCloud and an interview with Jersey Finance. Until then, happy investing.